because normally you're not exposed to that until you get older and they move off into a direction of super G or, or downhill. And I just see ski cross as another one of those branches of that tree. But that the base is, is still, we need a really strong trunk. We need a really good root system and a strong trunk and the branches we'll, we'll see, we'll see where they go. But I think if we do a good job with the, the foundation, then at least these kids have opportunity as they go further. They're not going to hit a roadblock where they're just limited in their their skiing. Hello everyone and welcome to the Edge podcast. This podcast is designed to give the Team Hotham members and our greater snow sports community an insight into the world which is competitive skiing from the club level right through to the elite level. My name is Rochelle Gilmore and I'm hosting this series. I am a coach for Team Hotham and former athlete with the club. This podcast is a great way for us to share a behind-the-scenes look into the world of competitive skiing, coming from the Australian perspective. In this episode, I sit down and have a chat with Sean Fleming. He is the current Snow Australia Alpine Director and the OWIA Ski Cross Head Coach. We cover a lot of different topics in this chat, from his evolution as a coach We talk about athlete development, the benefits of ski cross and learning to be able to ski everything, how to be an athlete, the different pathways athletes can take at different ages and his philosophy on these topics, as well as coach development in Australia. Just to name a few of the things we chat about, I highly recommend this chat. Sean gives us some very important and insightful information. And before we get into this episode, Team Hotham would like to thank Snow Australia. Snow Australia is nationally and internationally recognized by the National Sporting Organization, NSO, for competitive snow sports in Australia. Snow Australia is affiliated with this, the Australian Olympic Committee, the Australian Paralympic Committee, and recognized by Sport Australia. Snow Australia manages athlete pathways, conducts events and programs in alpine skiing, cross-country skiing, freestyle skiing, snowboarding, para-alpine, para-snowboard, and specialty sub-discipline activities within each. Snow Australia has the overarching responsibility for the entire national athlete pathway, from entry level through to elite across all disciplines. To meet this responsibility, Snow Australia engages with many different organisations, including ski resorts, federal and state governments, state sporting organisations, Pathway Clubs, Sporting Institutes, and Industry Peak Bodies. For more information, visit www.snow.org.au. Let's get into this chat. We've got another episode of the Edge podcast today, and we've got Sean Fleming from Snow Australia. How are we doing today, Sean? Yeah, very good, very good. Staying a little dry here in Jindabyne. Um, Yeah, it looks like the rain's coming. Yeah, that standard spring weather that comes in, kind of washes everything away. So, Sean, I would love you to kind of tell me a little bit about your role at Snow Australia at the moment. Yeah, easy. Well, I guess really I have two roles currently. One sits with Snow Australia, and that's Alpine Director, which I took over from from, from Nick Branch previously. In that role, obviously, it's really to work with all of the clubs in the country, the athletes, the parents, you know, in the community, and, and just try to build Alpine and, and ski cross across all of the platforms, you know, from grassroots participation right through, you know, up towards high performance and, and, and World Cup. And then on the other side of it, I do also have 
driver role with the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia. And that's as head coach of the ski cross program. Awesome. I would love to know a little bit about like your ski history. Where did you grow up skiing? How did you kind of get to where you are now? Very uneventful, I would say, ski career. I um, I grew up in, in Nova Scotia, in, in a city called Halifax in Canada, which is, for anyone that knows Canada well, it is the very, very east coast, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Not known for its mountains, that's for sure. Plenty of snow. And I want to say that the hill I grew up on was maybe an hour away and maybe for half like big d like maybe a little bit bigger than just big d like that there was like one t-bar and a, a chairlift and maybe four runs so super short super small no one in my family skis i first ever got into it i want to say probably year five um where school would do a trip like once a month in the winter and you could go and learn to ski and then some good friends of, of mine and, and my families they were skiers and it really just kind of evolved through school through that up into high school and then obviously i got my license and i you know every now and again was allowed to take the car and, and go for a ski i don't know i just and i, I fell in love with it you know and, and always would look at ski brochures and, and the magazines and the movies and you know one day want to go to you know whistler or somewhere like that was actually big mountains out west and i am um, at the end of high school year 12 i want to say i did my level one the canadian ski teaching and i started teaching at the little hill where, where i grew up and then i went to university started teaching i was doing a little bit of coaching with like you know the super grown five-year-old kids just weekend program and then at the end of my third year of university one of my best friends had just spent a winter in Whistler and he called and was like, dude, you gotta, you, you have to come out here. Like you have to come and see what it's like. And I was literally just finishing my exams. So it would have been April. And I, I moved out within like a month to Whistler, had a summer there and then started getting into the ski school there, skiing and coaching the, the weekend, you know, club programs through and and then it really it evolved and then i coached for nine years ten years with the whistler freeride club mostly big mountain from some park and ski cross was emerging within that and then along the same vein of ending up in whistler good friends of mine who were aussies no doubt that were in whistler were like you need to come down you need to come down and and work in australia and i i mean i fought it for a while my best friend who's canadian he had come down in the late 90s and he always wanted me to come down with him here and i was always like no way like summer is too nice in whistler like nah and then all of a sudden i decided 2003 sure as, as lots of great ideas happen at a table in the pub why not i applied online that night for uh like a, a visitor holiday visa and i woke up in the morning and it was in my inbox and there we go. I ended up coming to, to Jindabyne and to Parisher, and, and that was my first year 03. And that really was the beginning of me coming down here and really starting to coach Alpine a lot and focusing on that and doing some ski school training as well. And it was a really great balance because I'd go back to Whistler and in the, in the winter in Whistler, teaching free ride, big mountain, getting to ski in the Alpine every day and powder. And ski school trained there as well. And we actually had like one of our ski school training groups was steeps. So it was just off piste with the instructors. So like life was pretty sweet for me. And then being able to come down here and then coach racing, it was really, 
I mean, it just kept it very fresh. Yeah, exactly. It's like such a different ball game, I guess, teaching and coaching in Australia as it is to overseas. It's like completely kind of worlds apart in some ways. That's such an exciting story. I really hadn't heard that before. Let's talk a little bit about like what inspired you to become a coach. Like why did you think that coaching was kind of your route? I think really at the beginning it was just I, I loved skiing so much and I loved, you know, teaching, I guess, in, in, in the essence, like helping other people learn to ski. And, and that was fine at the very beginning. And like I said, it was you know, just a little bit of weekend work and some pocket money. Great. And then once I started to do it more as a profession and year round, then I definitely that idea of being able to be with the same kids week and week after week, weekend after weekend for a whole season, you know, and be able to really see them progress across that entire season. That was just so much fun and so awesome. And, you know, obviously kids, are, you know, they're stoked to be on the hill and be able to ski, push their limits and grow. So I, I just, it's always what I've come back to, even when you're, you're frustrated and, you know, like any job, there's always moments, but you always come back to asking yourself that why, why, why am I doing this? And then you're like, now, nah, you know what, when someone gets something and it's it's like a great day of training and they're happy and, you know, they really kind of feel like they've made a change. Then you're like, that I think is it. It's that, you know, really just being a, an educator, I guess. On that pretty hard hitting question straight away, like to you, what makes a good coach? I'm sure you've worked with a lot of coaches. You've done a lot of coaching yourself. I think the biggest ones obviously are kind of leaving your ego on the desk. It's about the athlete. It's about what's best for the athletes. Obviously, there's lots of different ways that you can deliver information and, and work with athletes. And that's really quite unique to, to each individual. But I think still at the end of the day, it always needs to be athlete centric. Why am I doing this? And how is it going to be better for the athlete, not for myself? And within that, I guess, never, ever taking an opportunity away from an athlete. My job is to make this athlete the best skier, the best athlete all around. How can I best assist this person? If this person goes down the road and decides all of a sudden they want to go to a different discipline or do whatever, you know, I really do not like when coaches go, oh, no, it's, you know, that's a waste of time or this is a waste of time. You have to, you know, let everyone find their way. You're someone that can help open doors for people, but ultimately the athlete is the one that has to decide which door they want to go through. And, you know, if you can be a part of an athlete's journey and that athlete is lucky enough to get to, you know, an international stage or a world stage, then I think you should be happy and be proud of, of that, whether it's, you know, in the direction that you initially saw that that athlete going or not. I really like that. And I guess to flip it around a little bit, what makes a good athlete to you? I think first, someone that, you know, truly loves the sport. You know, it, it's long, especially ski racing specifically. You know, if you're talking about international ski racing, World Cup, or, you know, going to World Champs and Olympics, like you're looking well into your 20s. And if you're really successful, into your 30s. So the, the journey and the path is long. There's obviously a lot of hard work, like any athletic endeavor, but the love of the sport, the fun has to be there. That's number one. And then I think athletes that really want to learn, you know, want to be a part of it, and not just not just see the coach as kind of the answer more that it has to be mutual and it has to be a discussion and i'm a big believer that actually 
if the athlete and coach get on the same page with this, this isn't something that's, oh, but that's for older athletes. You know, you can work with, with kids eight years old and still be collaborative and have discussions about skiing and educate them so that ultimately their skiing becomes their own. And they don't have to rely just on being, you know, told time and time again something. They're, they're actually starting to develop an understanding of the whys. I think then the third part of it really is not backing away or being fearful of challenge, not seeing challenge or difficulty in, in a training sense as an opportunity that I'm going to fail, but it's an opportunity to push myself and learn and get even better than where I was. And I think that's a hard one as well, especially with younger children or younger teens, because again, we're typically working in in groups with them and you know no one wants to be the worst in the group you know no one wants to be that one that kind of gets out but i, I think just from the groups from the whole club the as much and the parents as much as you can just really create a culture that challenges awesome you know falling down and getting back up falling down and getting back up is awesome because ultimately when you get back up you're going to be even better you know and not just seeking the the easiest option if you will and I mean, as you know, Rochelle, like ski racing in itself is a great challenge and it is not, is not easy. There's a lot of different things from pitch of the slope to the course set, to the snow conditions, to the weather conditions. I mean, there is so much that goes into that sport when you're actually at an event. Challenge, challenge is something that you, you better, better be pretty keen on. Yeah. Like embracing that challenge and embracing the scary sometimes. I guess with like the younger athletes, how do you think they should start out? I know there's a lot of, you know, guidance towards ski, like kids skiing all over the mountain and building their skills, you know, with a bit of everything. How do you feel about all of that? I think experience and breadth of experience at those young ages is key and critical. Because as I said, when we do get down to the nitty gritty of actual alpine ski racing, as I just mentioned, we have all these different variables and you need to be able to ski really turny steep slaloms. You need to be able to turn when the snow is crumbly or it's super soft or it's icy. And so, you know, being able to kind of be the, the master of that whole mountain. And as I've always said, like use Summit as an example, like I'll look at kids ski on the, on the groomed run there at Summit. And, you know, over towards Roadrunner or wherever. And you'll watch them ripping down on the groomed runs. And my vision, and, and I hold this for my own skiing as, as well, not necessarily that I ach achieve it all the time, but I want to be able to ski like that, but everywhere. So if I'm on a black bump run, I still want to be able to have the same performance I can on a, you know, green, blue groomed run. Or when you're out in the, in the back bowls, you know, beyond Heavenly Orchard or wherever, like I want to ski in the off piste you know, and be able to still charge and really carve and be powerful and, and do all of that. And and I think if you take that mentality out, you know, I mean, you know, Rochelle going to Telluride and stuff like that, like skiing up, skiing in really irregular, chopped up terrain. It's a great teacher of balance. You know, you don't need a coach. You find out pretty quick if you're in, in balance or not hitting little jumps and off moguls or little small drops, all of that just builds the breadth, I think, of, of, of that balance. And, and really, to me, everything else we talk about in skiing comes from balance. Because if, if I'm in a really good position on my ski and I'm well balanced as I move down the hill, all of the other things we talk about, the pivoting, you know, a rotary, edging, pressure control, all of these things become a lot easier to focus on and do when I'm in a great position. 
and when I'm able to maintain balance. If I'm not balanced, well, all of those other elements that we just talked about, they get really quite difficult. And, and so I just hammer, hammer on like on balance experience, like go into the terrain park. Do you have to spend all day in it? No, absolutely not. But should, should everyone be able to hit a small or medium park jump? Yeah. You know, I, I think fundamentally, just from a balance standpoint, you should be able to, you know, ski over a, a 20 foot or 30 foot, you know, 10 meter, eight meter, 10 meter jump. Because again, if, if that's outside of your comfort zone, even when we go back to that ski rut racing conversation and yeah, well, it's slalom. I don't, you know, leave the ground. But when you get to higher and higher levels of, of that, you're still pushing hard. And, and so it's still that comfort zone, that bubble, I think needs to be there. So, you know, I, I love it. You know, you guys have a, a fantastic resort at Hotham, obviously, for a lot of uh, exposure to being able to be off east and, and get out and, and ski off the runs, come back on the runs. And just like I said, challenge. Until you can ski the same everywhere, there's always work to be done. For sure. I mean, I know even in my own skiing, you know, I thought I was a pretty good skier and then spending a couple of seasons in North America and skiing off pace as much as they do over there. It really changes your skiing so much. Like nothing really phases you. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's humbling. You know, when I first got to Whistler, I rated myself as a, you know, fairly decent skier and got out there and was just skiing with people that had lived in Whistler for five years or 10 years and like, was not even it wasn't even the same sport um you know i was struggling all of a sudden you're in you know deep powder and it's west coast so it's heavier um on the coast and you know steep beyond what i ever thought steep was and you know it it, it took a couple seasons to really kind of get back to where you actually felt comfortable in most of that terrain for sure i mean that going out and chasing people that are bigger faster stronger than you like it changes your skiing completely you know i wish i had that when i was racing myself like it kind of gives you like a completely different state of mind and at the end of the day guess what it's fun for sure it's so much fun i love skiing off piece let's change things around a little bit sean you've had like a pretty awesome career like so far as far as coaching like maybe let's Talk about some of your like personal career highlights. Like what are some things that really stand out to you as like achievements as a coach? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to pick some like, you know, obviously at, at the last Olympics in, in Pyeongchang, you know, Sammy having an eight. I guess those, they are big events. I, I think also there's just a lot of pressure on you professionally when you're, when you're there. So I, I guess those, but I think a lot of the other ones aren't necessarily results based. It's more like I said, like when I, when you just have a day and you just see like someone, something clicked with somebody or you know, getting to go and, and take the U16s to Whistler Cup and be at Whistler Cup and just that kind of experience. For a lot of them, it's their first, you know, real international race with lots of other nations and kids. And, and you know, being able to spend the week with those kids and kind of be a bit of a mentor and, and talk to them, even though they're not necessarily athletes that I'd be coaching regularly and just introducing them to, to different different people over there. You know, obviously, it's where I lived. So, 
you know, I take them out always and we try to do one day, take them out free skiing and show them a little bit of, of, of that side of it as well. But I, I, th- I think those are kind of what stick out. I always kind of say, and look, we all say it. We'll, we'll, we'll all always, yeah, my athlete or my bit, but you know, obviously fundamentally, I always hate that concept of like coaches claiming results, you know, like, Oh, I got a silver medal at the last Olympic. And I'm like, well, no, no. An athlete that you work with did. And that's great because, and the reason I always say it, and it's somewhat tongue in cheek is because I said for most of us and, and, and coaches, you know, that I know, we're not sharing in the bad results. So when the athlete DNFs or whatever, you're really quick to be like, ah, oh, they just didn't listen to me. Um, <laughs> you know, but when they do well, you're like, oh yeah, that was, that was on me. So, you know, I, I mean, listen, it's great to see anybody do well and then achieve and, and it's definitely fun. But I guess last year being, at some of the ski cross world cups um with doug crawford who's young and just coming into world cup and he was able to qualify at three or four of the races top 32 in the quality and the time trial or whatever and then at right at the end um ended up with a 13th or whatever and so that was really probably quite quite exciting for me for him was just you know he had tried and tried so hard and and then finally like a lot of it once it clicked and he qualified in that first one, I think just, you know, that confidence starts to set in like, oh, no, I can do this. Like, I can be as fast as these guys. And then he had a, you know, a string there of success in, in, in January. So that was that's pretty cool to witness. And, and that was enough to also get him an OWI scholarship, which is also, you know, pretty cool as a coach to to be able to see him now come on board and, and with Sammy and myself. So. All of that stuff is pretty exciting. I've got some questions and just some things that I wanted yeah. to talk a little bit about. I guess like there's been quite a lot of changes with Snow Australia and we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the pathways, like going from your kids that come into the club competing and training from a really young age and then kind of working through that into schools and into kind of aiming more to that elite level. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the pathways that athletes can take. It's not tricky, I guess. But again, I have my own philosophy on this that, you know, everybody kind of, I hope everybody when they're first starting to ski, you know, they get out with mom and dad and they first slide or whatever. I don't think anyone's sitting there going, oh, this, yeah, like I've decided I want to be a World Cup Alpine ski racer. You know, again, I, I hope it's the love of the sport. It's, you know, something to do with your family. And then as they get a little bit older, of course, you start to look at, and probably for a lot of nowadays, that first exposure probably is actually maybe coming from interschools before it comes even as a club. I personally, I think that that's great. I do not have a problem at all with interschools. I think it is a very important role to play. I think it's a very powerful tool of getting people interested in ski racing. I think where we're trying to focus and do a better job and meet with the schools, meet with you know, the clubs and the, and educate the, the families is if you want to go beyond just interschools racing. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it's important to kind of note that in the sport of Alpine skiing, interschools is a participation event. It is a fun, awesome way to get kids in, but in its base, it's a participation ski racing event. Now, if you want to start to go beyond that, and and go further into alpine ski racing and obviously you know starting to talk about you know like 
proper GS and slalom. Then, then obviously the clubs is that next step. And, and the club really is that place where you have expert coaches, you know, like yourself that are there to really start to develop these these kids into athletes and and that's not just their skiing you know it's it's that entire concept of athletic development it's off you know i noticed you guys when you were shut down in july you know you're doing online nutrition stuff and dry land and all this other education and that's all very important in that athletic development in that kind of holistic model so i think for us that's the big one that the clubs and let the clubs go now every club is designed a little bit differently and in terms of, you know, how broad or how narrow their focus is. And I think, again, that us nationally, you know, just getting that information out, being able to educate parents. So when they do make a decision on, on what club they go to, they're making the decision that best fits where they want to go. And not everyone is going to be in this sport to be an Olympian, you know, or a World Cup skier. I don't think that that's a requirement to go and be at a club and, and you know, want to better yourself and ski race along the way, whether that's interschools, whether that's just doing a little bit of, you know, children's race, Snow Australia, and maybe some domestic fist races, you know, you enjoy it. That's fine. I, I don't see a problem with that because that person may then go on to become a ski instructor or a ski coach and stay in the industry and bring their experience or they're going to go off and have a family and then their kids are going to come back to the snow. You know, I think there's, there's a big cycle here. Now, for those kids that really truly want international level ski racing and really you know, have a go and chase dream of seeing how far they can go. I just think it's really important to identify those families, those kids initially at the club level, start wrapping support around those people. And, and by support, I just mean education, like really being honest with people. Well, okay, if this is what you want, this is probably what you're going to need to do. And Obviously, there is a cost that comes with that financially. There is a cost with time. I think it's just really being honest with those people and, and, and being honest about timelines too. You know, like, well, okay, if you want to be a World Cup skier, are, are you looking till you're 28, 29, you know, or are you looking till the end of high school? Because one is realistic and one is really quite unrealistic to set. And I think once you have those discussions with the family, and I, I guess also it's important to say, these tend to be very individualized conversations. There's not a one, one size fits all solution to this. I get asked all the time, like, you know, how long should a 12 year old be going overseas? And I, I don't have an answer to that. However, if I'm going to talk to a specific 12 year old and their family and find out what they're looking for and all of that, then it becomes a little bit easier. And something else that we wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously you're quite the expert with ski cross and I guess a bit of the border cross. And we have a lot of that that goes on here at Hotham. Like what are some of the things that you envisage with like ski cross, border cross within like Australia and like our athlete development over the next few years? Obviously, you know, Hotham is in a position with the track that they, they have normally. You know, it, it's a great opportunity to develop some skiers and for the snowboarders as well. Again, this probably goes back to an earlier conversation that we had around that idea of opportunity and not closing doors on athletes. Let the athlete go where they want. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be successful in ski cross, the World Cup level, 
you've still got to go through the ski club and ski GS and ski slalom and do all of that. Like the Alpine skills, the athletes that are at World Cup ski cross are all coming from Alpine. However, what you do tend to see is you don't necessarily need to have been like a really good Europa Cup or World Cup Alpine skier to cross over. There really is a mixture. We have some people that were World Cup Alpine or really, really solid Europa Cup and NORAM, like podium level skiers, and they're in the mix. But there's also some people that were just good fist skiers, but that have some other attributes. So I, I think it's just with the, the club, it's just about using that facility, that space to, again, just develop good skiers. It just goes back to that holistic approach. Like I said, you know, at Hotham and I don't know how many years ago, this was maybe four or five years ago, but we had some groups of the younger kids come in to the track one day or whatever. And depending on on the track and the size of it and, and where you start, but for those kids and for the skis they're on, I said, this is just downhill training. It's speed training. It's teaching kids about tucking, gliding, big long turns, be having learning about feel and touch on the ski, not just, you know, really aggressive, quick, like, like slalom maybe is. And it also teaches you a little bit of airtime. I think taking the ski cross part out of it, because to me, ski cross, really the only ski cross part of ski cross is the fact that multiple people go down the track at the same time. But if you just have them go one at a time, I was like, this is like a speed training center. Like where in Australia are you going to find like a speed training center that's fully netted, closed off to the public? where you can take some of the little kids and actually say like, yeah, we're doing like a downhill camp. I think it's a great way to incorporate it in. And then, as I said, as you progress through your, your sporting journey as an athlete at, at Mount Hotham Race Squad, who knows where you'll end up. There's a lot of people that go through and ski slalom and GS. And then all of a sudden, you know, as they get to 20 or their young 20s, they start finding a love for speed because normally – you're not exposed to that until you get older and they move off into a direction of super G or, or downhill. And I just see ski cross as another one of those branches of that tree. But that the base is, is still, we need a really strong trunk. We need a really good root system and a strong trunk and the branches we'll, we'll see, we'll see where they go. But I think if we do a good job with the, the foundation, then at least these kids have opportunity as they go further. They're not going to hit a roadblock where they're just, limited in their their skiing i guess building a really strong foundation but then at what stage do you think athletes should start to more specialize and make that choice of like what they want to do more in an alpine ski cross sense i'd normally because it's quite a late maturing sport i'd always say like you know once you're out of high school you know, once once you've got that behind you and you can you, you've got more time, then you start to look at a good, honest assessment. Where where am I? Where are my skills right now sitting? And also, where's my passion? Where am I going to have the energy or want to put the energy in and go? Now, not saying that wouldn't work in like free ride, like park and pipe. However, obviously, those type of sports they tend to be peaking at younger ages, you know, and it's, just, it's, it's a little bit the same with moguls. And I think you just, you, from my experience now, because there are park and pipe programs, free ride programs at, at most of the resorts, for whatever reason, the children, the families, they seem to kind of gravitate to like a discipline, if you will, for whatever reason. Back in the day when there wasn't those programs, 
you know, there's a lot of kids that still went through ski clubs for a while, like Russell Henshaw, perfect example, represented Australia to Olympics for slope. He went to Threadbow ski racing and was and skied as a U16 and all of that. And then just, you know, realized that, okay, skiing gates every day wasn't his passion and was going to the park. But, you know, had a really good fundamental development there at the ski club and then went. But obviously at that point in the in the early 2000s and mid 2000s, whatever it was, there probably wasn't options out there to join a, a, a park and pipe program because it still was was pretty new. So I think that's the easiest, but definitely for Alpine and for ski cross, I, I think um, unless for there's a very specific instance, keep doing it all, ski with the club, train hard. And, and once you get out of HSC and you can experience, you go and you're really now clear that you're committed and this is something you want to take on, then it'll come pretty quick. Let's be honest. We all kind of will always gravitate to what we're better at and what we like than something that's a little bit more difficult or boring. I think that decision will come. And that, and that's where, especially with that Alpine and saying it's a, a later sport, later age sport at a world-class, you know, international level, is it puts parents at ease when they hear that if they're going to be realistic about this journey because then all of a sudden at 13 or 14, there's not such a crazy rush. It's not like, oh, if I don't get this right in the next two years, we're done because then we can start to take a breath and go, okay, you know, we've got time here. We just want to make sure that we're doing the, the right things and, you know, putting in good focus when we're on the hill, but it doesn't need to be all done and wrapped up at, at the end of U16. For sure. There's still plenty of room for growth. We've talked a lot about the on-snow side of things and that development. Something that we wanted to know a little bit about or get your opinion on was, I guess, the benefits of that more dryland training. How do you feel about like dryland training and like at what ages do you think kids should be pursuing that a bit more? Whether it be just through active lifestyle, doing lots of sports when they're, you know, really young, going through and then as they start to get, you know, into that U12 and, and whatever age, you know, body weight. I think that's still something that I see this country we spend so much time, especially the children that are going overseas also. It, we're so ski focused. And then when we have our own season domestically, we're in such a rush to make sure we're, you know, taking every opportunity. But you'll, you'll start to see that real physical development starts to lag behind other ski, big ski nations. So, you know, I, I think it's always a focus. I think always like trying to be in, in the best shape that you can be in strength, you know, cardio capacity. Because when you do go to, say, U16 international race like Whistler Cup or Topolino, you know, that's always one thing that stands out, I think, is the physicality of a lot of these top skiers, whether it's the Norwegians, the Americans, the Canadians, Japanese, all like they're men and women, even though they're 15. They're not like speed suits, not flapping on them, you know. They're big, strong, strong, you know, teenagers. I think it goes a, a long way. I mean, obviously, there's pure ski benefits of, of being able to manage higher pressures, which then we can take, you know, different lines, different levels of performance in our turns. You know, the, there's that. But there's also the massive, massive part around injury prevention. The more I can be strong, the more I can be fit, the more I can be flexible is going to do a lot in that injury prevention. And, you know, for a lot of people, 
you know, obviously the most common one for us is, is a knee. That's a lot of time off snow and a lot of time away from training. You know, being able to really prioritize your off snow stuff should be equally as important as what you're doing on snow. For sure. And I think even like mentally, when you know that you've spent a lot of time in the gym and you're physically strong, you can take that into being out on the snow. Look, I think it, it gives you confidence. Something that I really wanted to ask a little bit about coaching development. I know that we've got a bit more of a push here in Australia to develop the Australian coaches. What is happening there? And I guess the philosophy behind all of that. Well, I think it's always been pretty clear since I've been down here. And again, I, I guess I have to qualify this because I'm a foreigner. Um <laughs> It was very, very heavy internationals, obviously, across all of the clubs. Uh, you know, we had always talked about being able to create more opportunity Australians in to that coaching space and be able to train up, you know, quality Australian coaches to work with Australian athletes. And I, I think it's really important, you know, to understand the culture and understand where, where, where these athletes come from. And then obviously, while we had started to develop all of this, I mean, a global pandemic came. Borders were shot, and all of a sudden, it became very apparent how much we relied on foreign coaches who could no longer get into the country. And, and you know, a lot of clubs obviously were, were struggling and running around to try and find. And I always said it was going to be challenging, and it was going to be frustrating and, and difficult for those program directors, those head coaches, trying to find who can we get, you know, who is there. But I also said there's a silver lining there hopefully of being able to identify some people that would have gone under the radar and find some really passionate people. They may be very inexperienced. That's fine. The job of that program director, head coach to be that mentor and to help. And, and our role as Snow Australia and my role to help and bring education and help develop these guys and girls into, into coaches. And it has started talking to the head coaches, talking to people, they're loving it. Yes, they might not be the, the most experienced, but just from being able to speak good English and understand and communicate with the, with the children, you know, right through just they're so passionate, so excited to have the opportunity and so hungry to learn that it's kind of a, a dream, you know, for that head coach or program director. And, and importantly, also, they're really willing to take direction and help follow the vision of that club and work towards a vision where, again, when you're pulling one Italian and one Canadian, and you know, a couple Austrians down or whatever, they all come from different systems, as if you're going to tell an Austrian that their system is not correct or whatever. And so you get a lot of coaches going out in a lot of different directions, doing what they want. And Australia is not the same as everywhere. And it is very unique, especially in the length of our season. We don't have six months or like a lot of northern countries to have the kids on snow or whatever. And, and I think you just need to be aware of that. And there is a slightly different approach that needs to be taken compared to Northern Hemisphere uh, nations. So that's it. We're, we're going to continue to develop it. We work, you know, online with coaching staff and help out with the, at the clubs. And then we're also looking borders being reopened of being able to run some USSA courses. So going beyond just that initial offering, which is really just a cutting your teeth 
coaching education from snow australia it's just to get people in the door get them interested give them some kind of concepts obviously these people are all coming from apsi so the methodology and understanding is already there it's just tweaking the way that they look at it to be more as a coach so a bit longer term with athletic development than as a standard lesson However, then it will be to bring in USSA 100, USSA 200 over time and run them every year in Australia with Australians and myself being able to be the facilitators of the courses. So we're not having to fly people down from USSA and start to increase the level of education and certification and, and really there had been conversations about, oh, but you could, why, you know, use USSA? Why not create your own? And I mean, obviously, first of all, why would, does anyone need to reinvent the wheel? It's very timely and very expensive to just come up with a system that's pretty much no different than anyone else's system because skiing is skiing. And also for the coach, there's a great benefit with having a recognized world, recognized certification that if they then go overseas, they have USSA. You're going to be able to go and work in America or work in Canada or in Europe with that and grow your education even further by doing Northern Hemisphere winters. So that was the, the logic and thinking behind that. And once we get the international borders open and we get a full season in, then we're definitely looking to, to put those on. I guess just for those listeners at home, the USSA is the American system of coaching. Quite an exciting course. I did the USSA 100 a couple of years ago. I've had some friends do the other ones. So yeah, it was really cool learning about like the athlete development and different ages and different stages. Very cool. It's very exciting to have some of that stuff happening here in Australia for us as well. I think a little bit of an Australian spin on things as well is quite beneficial. Sean, we have been talking for quite a while. I know that you're a busy guy. Would just like to ask you a couple more questions. What are some words of advice that you can kind of share with parents bringing their kids into the club and then I guess moving through up to that elite level if they want to? The biggest one is listen and I don't want to, you know, tell people how to parent, but just be honest and really try to to listen and read your child and, you know, really how much do they love this? Do they want it? Where are they going? What's their interest? And then at the club, reach out to the coaches, you know, even to myself, but just educate yourself as much as you can. Get information. And I would always suggest trying to get the information from people that are educated and trusted. So coaches, you know, the administrators at the club about things like that. And not necessarily just, oh, but these parents are this and this. And it, it gets hard and there's misinformation and all of that. You know, I'm always happy to answer emails or, or phone calls for people that, that have questions or don't know where is the next step or what do we do? Are we wasting our time? Are we not? I understand, it, you know, they're not not what they're experts in. Use the coaches. And, and then also tr- trust your coaches. Trust that those coaches are doing what is best for your child's athletic development and let the coach then be the coach and and really you are the supporter both emotionally and financially of that child and then said it's a long journey so as time goes on i think it starts to be clearer and clearer of how serious they are and how much they they want to put into it because as we know you know there does come a point where 
going overseas and spending more and more time overseas is a requirement. And obviously, that's a really big ask on those individuals. Now they're away from their school, they're away from their their social networks and their families or whatever. And that's definitely not for everybody. Some really seem to love it. And others, of course, they get homesick or they're just like, yeah, I'd rather have summer. I think those are the most important parts. But if you have questions, ask. And what about the kids or kids athletes? What are some words of advice you've got for our up and coming Australian athletes? A lot of it, I've already said in, in terms of just like, get out there, challenge yourself, push yourself all the time but also don't ever sit back and be afraid to ask questions and you know use your coach your coach isn't there to make you a better skier you are there to make yourself a better skier and that coach is is kind of that box of education and if you have a question or you don't understand oh god why does he keep making me do this you know whoa hands up again holding my poles like you know ask why why would i do this or whatever it might be always try to ask and grow because as you do see those top level athletes their understanding of their sport the education of the sport as a whole ski racing the history of it just about technique about athletic development they're very educated people they understand and i i think no matter what age you are you have the right as an athlete to ask questions to the coach and develop yourself. So I, I think that's it. And, and understand also, it's not easy for anybody. It's not going to be a perfectly smooth road all the way to the top. There is going to be obstacles. There's going to be bumps in the road. But guess what? Everybody else is having them as well. It may feel sometimes like, you know, you're the only one. And that is the case for everyone. And a large part of sport in general but especially in this sport, perseverance, you know, who, who can kind of stay on track the longest and not just get frustrated and say, ah, I'm done. I'm done with it. And be honest with yourself. Do you love it? Because as I said, that's the most important thing. If all you think about is being able to get out on snow and slide around, that's a great motivator. That is it. And the same, you know, if athletes have specific, very specific questions, take them to your coaches, but and they can also communicate with me as well so that we can always try to get get the best answer. That is some great words of advice, Sean. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. I think it's been a lot of great information. No worries. And that is a wrap on our episode with Sean Fleming. Thank you for listening and be sure to click the subscribe button on wherever you are listening so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who you think might like a little listen. Also, if you have time and if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give the show a rating and review because it really helps people find the Edge podcast. See you later.